G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Uh, three conversations, three conversations by way of a, a kind of lengthy introduction this morning to our final instalment in our Doctrine of Scripture series. Uh, three conversations that provide a bit of a frame for us. The first one uh, I had with a good friend of mine just this last week. Um, it surprised me, actually. I'd been talking to her of how, um, in the main, as I read my Bible, as I read the Scriptures, um, I find the Bible a refreshing read. I find it encouraging. I find it intriguing. Um, I, I guess I particularly had in mind reading through the gospel stories and watching the life of Jesus unfold before my eyes. I find him such an intri- such an enthralling um, read there in the gospels. Um, and it, it kind of surprised her, I think. It wasn't what she expected to hear uh, when I talked about my own Bible reading. And so she asked me, well, what do you do with the bits of the Bible that frustrate you or that make you angry or that wind you up or that disappoint you? Now, this coming from a friend, um, she's not a believer, uh, but she's very conscious that a large portion of my working week revolves around knowing and reading and teaching these um, scriptures. And she said to me, look, it is such, it's such an old book you know, it's not exactly modern and the world has moved on in, in so many different ways. Um, the stuff we've moved on from in the modern world, especially teachings and, and rules that, that get at you and that get under your skin, what do you do with those bits of the Bible? There must be some of those, surely? So that was conversation one. I think it's a good question. I'm glad she asked it. Uh, and I wonder how you'd answer that if that was put to you. What do you do with the bits of the Bible that wind you up? one way or another, in light of our doctrine of Scripture this month. Uh, Conversation number one. Conversation number two um, wasn't my conversation at all, actually, but I heard about it from one of you. It was was for one of you and it was a conversation between you and one of your friends, Um, although I've had the same conversation myself a number of times. Um, One of you had a conversation with a friend and your friend says to you, God spoke to me, gave me a vision, actually, Um, I had a a dream um, and God told me what's going to happen and he told me what I have to do and he told me how it's going to turn out. God spoke to me personally, audibly perhaps. Um, Folks, how many of us have ever had a friend um, confront us with news like that? Say something to us like that. We've got a word from God or perhaps it's been us. We've been the ones on the receiving end of a vision or a prophecy or that dream or that oracle. Uh, For me, the most disturbing version of that conversation that I ever encountered was when Sam Green, you know Sam Green? When Sam Green and I were doing walk-up evangelism, do you know what that is? At the university uh, on the campus back when I was an undergraduate. Walk-up is where you walk up (laughs) to some... Uh, you know, um, stranger to you and you invite them then and there to have a conversation with you about Jesus. Uh, And if they say yes, then great, Uh, you strike things up. And if they say no, then no hard feelings and off you go to the next um, unwitting stranger. Um, 
It's kind of the uni equivalent of door knocking, I suppose, all right? Picture it like that. Anyway, Sam and I, we approached this man saying, would you like to talk about Jesus? Uh, and immediately, okay, his body language, his, the, the, his eyes, just everything about him, um, it kind of went tense, actually. Uh, and two things became clear quickly. Firstly, yes, he would like to have a conversation about Jesus, thank you very much. But secondly, he was the one who was going to do the talking. Um, and the thing was, he needed to get something off his chest. Very quickly, Sam, Sam and I learned what that something was, because you see, this gentleman's sister had heard a voice. And he proceeded to tell us about her voice, allegedly from God. You see, his sister claimed that she heard it, God speaking audibly, and that voice had instructed her to jump into a swollen, flooded, deep river on a day following very heavy rainfalls, wearing just her pyjamas. Don't ask me why, because I don't know why. I'm actually not entirely clear how he came to learn about the voice, because as you've probably guessed, she obeyed it. She jumped and was drowned. And then later her body was pulled out and that was that. And so there was Sam and there was me and there was this broken, grieving man trying to make sense of an alleged voice from God. Second conversation. The third conversation and the last one, uh, this one happened well before our time, John Jewell. John Jewell, he was Bishop of Salisbury in England uh, back in the 1500s. 1500s. So the Protestant Reformation had swept across Europe and changed the face of the map. Uh, King Henry VIII had already seen to it that England was a Protestant country. Thanks very much. You might remember some of the controversies surrounding that and his wives. Anyway, so the English church and its leaders had the colossal task of then redefining, reshaping, remoulding English spirituality Uh, English Christian life in Protestant terms, in keeping with the rediscovered gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was the task for these men, including John Jewell of Salisbury. Now, where do you even begin with a task like that? Uh, Reshaping an entire country load of people and their spirituality, their devotion to Jesus and what that looks like. How do you start? Well, uh, Bishop Jewell wanted to start the conversation like this. He said, read the scriptures. Have a listen to what he said. Art thou a king? Are you a king? Read the scriptures. You shall find who has established your estate and what duty you owe to God. Art thou a subject? Read the scriptures. They will teach you to know your duty. Art thou a minister? Read the scriptures, they will teach you your duty. Art thou a father? Hast thou children? Read the scriptures, they will teach you. If you have sons, instruct them. Art thou a child? Hast thou a father? Read the scriptures, they will teach you. Hast God blessed thee in wealth? Are you rich? Read the scriptures. They will teach you, be not high-minded and trust not in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us abundantly all things to enjoy. Art thou poor 
and sufferest scarcity in the world. Read the scriptures. Say with Job, naked, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return again. Learn of Solomon, better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Art thou a merchant? Do you buy and sell? Read the scriptures. They will teach thee, this is the will of God, that no man oppress or defraud his brother in any matter. Art thou an usurer? Hear the scriptures. Art thou a fornicator and livest in adultery? Read the scriptures. Art thou a servant? Read the scriptures. Art thou proud? Read the scriptures. Art thou in adversity? Read the scriptures. Art thou a sinner? Hast thou offended God? Read the scriptures. Do you despair of the mercy of God? Read the scriptures. Art thou going out of this life? Read the scriptures. They will teach you, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Three conversations about the scriptures, about the word of God for our third and our final meditation on the doctrine of scripture this month. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we're reminded from the outset that we stand in a very long tradition of men and women and boys and girls, of kings and of slaves, of merchants and ministers who read their Bibles because they took them to be holy scripture, took them to be the word of God to them. Lord God in heaven, speak to us here on earth today, we ask in your word and by your spirit, and may we figure out more thoroughly, please, the proper place of your word in our lives, in practice and with devotion and with a willingness in our hearts to listen well and to change habits to establish new practices and new routines, whatever repentance and faith needs to look like for each of us personally and for us together as a body. And we ask it all in our great Saviour's name. Amen. So from Numbers 12 there, the passage that Marion just read to us, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he'd married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. So so back in Numbers 12 there, quite apart from their particular beef about Moses' Cushite wife, whatever that uh, may be, you feel the force, I reckon, of their question. And I think it's a good question. It's, It's this, isn't it? What makes Moses so special? What exactly makes Moses... Um, so special here. And for our topic today, um, we know that the Bible was written by people, people like Moses, um, people including Moses, actually. Um, So what makes his human word any more special than my human word about God? Do you see the conundrum that Miriam and Aaron were faced with? Who says that your word from God is better than my word? from God? Who says that your word or your friend's word or the girl in the river's word from God is better than Moses' word or my word? What validates a word from God as God's own word? It's a good question. 
that Miriam and Aaron have come with, whatever the state of their hearts in asking it. Verse 2, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Come down with me to verse 4. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. Then the cloud lifted from above the tent. There stood Miriam, leprous like snow. What is it that validates Moses' words there? And remember, Moses authored much of our Old Testament Bibles. That's why I use him as an example. What validates Moses' words as God's own words? In the end, God does. In this passage, at least, isn't it true? In the end, it's God who validates Moses' words as God's words. It's not that, well, Moses could argue better than Miriam or Aaron. We don't even see any of that in this passage, and we get the sense from other passages that that wouldn't have been the case. Uh, It's not that the people of the time so venerated Moses, thought him so above reproach that anything that fell from his lips, they automatically lapped up and thought to be such genius wisdom that they had to bow before it's genius. No, no, that wasn't it. No, God validates God's word. But hold up a second, because there's not always a whiz-bang sign with Miriam turning leprous before their very eyes. You don't always get some whiz-bang sign to validate God's word. So uh, let's have a look at Deuteronomy 18. If you wouldn't, if you're following along on your lap, please turn over to the next book, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Um, How will we know the people of Israel are wondering, you know, because Moses can't be around forever, how will we know who should we look to now? If we learnt anything from Miriam's experience, we learnt that not every word from God is a real word from God, so how are we going to know, how are we going to recognise a word from God once Moses is gone? Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses is the one speaking, a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb, at Mount Sinai, on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I'll put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone doesn't listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. Skip down to verse 21. You may say to yourselves, How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? Okay, has not been spoken by the Lord. 
if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Brothers and sisters this morning, here's our opening point. Please don't mistake scripture. We're talking about scripture this month, where it comes from, how we know it, what it is, where it sits in our life. Do not mistake scripture for nothing more than ancient, collected, religious opinion, as if everyone and anyone in ancient Israel with an opinion on the heavens, every dreamer, everyone who'd ever had some experience of a vision, every voice hearer, every wannabe prophet, somehow got their page in the book as well and it was just added in, as if ancient Israel was something like the the great publishing house of uh, religious thought in the ancient world and as if we today should somehow generously accept everyone's musings about God as equally valid and as a word on par with our own scriptures, you know, another legitimate perspective that we place alongside the scriptures and then weigh up which one we like the most, which one seems most palatable to us, which one we like. No, no, what are we seeing here? Numbers 12, Deuteronomy 18. The people of Israel had the spectacular acts of God in their midst, accompanying words of God that actually came true, coming from the mouths of men and women who carried the stamp of God on their lives. Let me just say that again. The people of Israel had the spectacular acts of God in their very midst, accompanying words of God that actually came true from the mouths of men and women who carried the stamp of God on their very lives. As Peter sums it up in the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 1, we read this summary. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what we have in our Old Testament Scriptures, carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's a crucial part of our doctrine of Scripture and perhaps you're thinking, well, hang on a second, that's the Old Testament, that's those strange old prophets, okay, they had the Holy Spirit carrying them along, but what about the New Testament? Jesus says, no, no, it's exactly the same. As God uh, moves in the lives of the men who wrote Scriptures down the ages, Jesus said it was exactly the same with the New Testament. So in John 14, verse 26, we read him promising his the apostles, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you, the apostles, all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. Now, today, you know, our, your friend, perhaps, with her vision, her prophecy, are we any closer to having something to say to her? And what about... What about me with my friend? Am I any closer to having an answer to her? How do you handle the bits of the Bible that you find frustrating, that anger you, that you disagree with? Well, I think we are a bit closer on both fronts, aren't we? Um, Because here's what I'm hearing from Numbers and Deuteronomy and now to Peter. I'm hearing, you need to learn to hold on a second, Bernard, with God's Word. Uh, Because when someone claims to speak a word from God, that friend perhaps, 
claims to speak a word from God, I want to ask them. I want to say, wait a second, are you sure you heard a word from God? Like, I mean really sure, because if you claim something like that, you want to be absolutely positive. This isn't something to be glib or kind of flippant or vague about. Are you sure it was from God? And if I'm close enough to that person, I might press them for why they're so sure and about the seriousness of representing, uh, representing God and claiming his voice. Uh, secondly, for my friend, with her question, I think I want to make sure that my answer includes at least this from what we've seen so far, don't I? It includes something like, well, I'll tell you what I do when something confuses or frustrates or baffles me. I remember at least this, that I'm listening to God's word. So what do I do when I'm listening to God's word and I find something upsetting? Here's what I do. I keep listening. I keep listening because isn't this a possibility that maybe it says more about me than it does about God if I can't stomach his words, do you see? It causes me to keep listening even when they're hard words. Let me say clearly that approach... I'm not sure which passages or which teachings or which bits perhaps confuse you or baffle you or leave you upset. I know some of them. Let me say clearly, the approach of humbly listening, it doesn't solve all of our problems and our misgivings, Uh, not immediately, but it is about an attitude that says, God, I'm listening here and I'm content to sit with things that make me uncomfortable when they come from your mouth. I trust you. And sometimes things do come together, but not always in a hurry. 2 Timothy 3. Could we all come across 2 Timothy 3, please? And uh, look, for some of you, I I bet you've been thinking, oh, great, we're doing a Doctrine of Scripture series, that's great. He's going to talk about 2 Timothy 3. When is he going to talk about 2 Timothy? We're into the third week and he still hasn't talked about 2 Timothy chapter 3. Why is that? What has he been doing? What is it? Has he missed it entirely? Um, uh, no, well, here we are, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, we're finally there. Now, as you know, there are all kinds of, of different writing in the Bible. What sort is, is 2 Timothy? So in the Bible, there's poems, aren't there? There's even love poems. There are, there are story, there's narrative, there's parable, all kinds of things. What is 2 Timothy? It's a letter, isn't it? It's correspondence. Uh, but one of the things I love about 2 Timothy, I really do um, love this particular book, perhaps more than any other part, um, is that it's personal correspondence. It's not just a letter to a church load of people, it's personal, it's man to man. It's Paul to Timothy. Uh, It's Paul's words to his beloved apprentice. You can hear his love coming through in the words that he's written um, to his protege, his apprentice. Uh, And we take it at this point that Paul is, um, if not elderly, then certainly um, close to his death. Um, He's near the end. So I wonder, as we read 2 Timothy 3, can you feel your way around um, the kind of man that Paul would have Timothy become, even after he's gone? The kind of, the way that Paul would have Timothy handle the Scriptures, treat the Scriptures, um, view the Scriptures, use the Scriptures, live with the Scriptures... What kind of man would Paul have Timothy become? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned 
and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Just pause for a minute there actually. How from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you grandmothers and mothers here, do you know who Timothy learned it from? His grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. That's who gave Timothy, from infancy, his grounding in Scripture that welled up eventually, as he encountered the Gospel itself, welled up to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a saving faith for him. I think in our culture... Um, it's common to at least get the vibe that if you're at home with the kids, you're not doing a particularly valuable thing. Um, you should get back off to work as soon as you possibly can. Um, there are many good reasons to celebrate and champion and um, encourage women in the workforce, but not at the expense of uh, championing and praising motherhood. Uh, think about Timothy's example there. Just a little aside, verse 15. How from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's fair to say um, we live in a culture these days, we live in a time, a culture that values, how would you put it, breadth of knowledge more than it values depth of wisdom. Is that fair to say? We live in a culture that values breadth of knowledge more than it values depth of wisdom. We live in a culture that values knowing where to find information more than it values mastering that information Um, being in command of it. Is that fair to say? And of course, in countless ways, I want to say I'm so glad that is the case um, and I think we're so much better off. Um, One tiny example, no longer, do you see, no longer am I cut off from you for the simple and frustrating reason that I cannot remember your phone number. (laughs) I haven't got that memorised inside of my head. Uh, No, I just, I don't even try to learn your phone number now. I just sort of tap on your name on my phone and automatically I'm connected. I don't even have to tap on my phone. I can, from across the room, talk to my phone and ask it to place a call to you because it remembers your phone number so that I don't need to and marvellously we're um, connected again. Uh, Whereas before, I'd have had to master your own personal phone number and not lose the piece of paper that I wrote it on. But it's complicated as well, isn't it? It's not all rosy because... Uh, teachers and education experts nowadays, they have to figure out uh, the value of disappearing disciplines, like, for instance, spelling, like, for instance, handwriting, as in with your actual hand, like times tables, rather than using your phone to do all sorts of maths that I've forgotten even how to understand, like grammar. See, which of those tasks actually has enduring like useful uh, significance and which bit or which bits of them have enduring significance for adult life in the modern world so that say even if handwriting the actual practice disappears then which aspects of that 
do I want to see retained? Like, for instance, fine motor skills. Do you see? You're sort of dividing up uh, into, into their constituent parts, these different little things that we used to take for granted as essential to um, uh, adult life in the modern world. Not just fine motor skills, the ability to think before we speak, communicate clearly, all those sorts of things. But friends, can we just ask this? What do we stand to lose in a culture that no longer thinks deeply, dwells deeply on the Word of God? That is content to know where it can find or search for that information rather than mastering it? That no longer hears from infancy, no longer thinks and dwells deeply on the words of God, on the whole counsel of God um, on a daily basis? I tell you, from these verses in 2 Timothy, I think we stand to lose two things, don't we? Number one, here it is, salvation. <laughs> the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And number two, the opportunity to be thoroughly equipped to live as God's man or God's woman in God's world, living the good life, by which I don't mean the easy life, I mean the good life, as in a life filled with goodness, what do we stand to lose if we close the door on God's spirit? That's what it says there, isn't it? All scripture is God breathed, the word uh, in that God breathed thing, if you've got your uh, footnote, perhaps it might help you out there. God breathed means God spirited, as in spirited out by God. What do we stand to lose if we close the door, minimise the place of God's own Spirit's voice in our lives, his word of salvation to us in the scriptures. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I wonder, do we have an appetite for scripture in our lives? I think we actually do in this congregation. I really think we do. I think our survey results bore that out, didn't we, the other weekend as we were looking at those. Uh, most of us, uh, one of the results, most of us read the Bible most days. 63% of us read the Bible every day or most days. Uh, plus, another 20% of us read the Bible at least a few times a week. So, I think my encouragement from this verse here needs to be more in this vein, doesn't it? when we get into God's Word, right? not if we are, but when we get into God's Word, is our aim to be thoroughly equipped for every good work in the Lord? Are we content to be rebuked, what does it say, rebuked or corrected or trained, or do we just want to hear its encouragement and its teaching? Um, as we've um, been saying, does our Bible bring us back to this point from infancy You've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Do our Bible readings day by day point us back to Christ, deepen our grasp and our affection for Him, challenge our waywardness, inspire deeper gratitude in our Lord and Saviour? B.B. Um, Warfield urged Christians to saturate themselves in the Scriptures with these words. He said, you must taste its preciousness for yourselves before you can apply it to others. You must assimilate the Bible, make it your own, 
in that intimate sense which will fix it fast in your hearts. If you would have those words rise spontaneously to your lips in your time of need or in the times of needs of others, read, study, meditate until the Bible is in you, then the Bible will end up in you and come out from you in every season of need. In closing, brothers and sisters, I wonder what um, I wonder what Bishop Jewell would say to us today, here in our context. What would Bishop Jewell write to us here in Hobart uh, today if he were around in our year, trying to have a conversation with us about scriptures? I suspect his words to Good News Christian Church, 500 years on, might read something like this: Read the scriptures. Art thou a Prime Minister? Read the Scriptures. You shall find who has established your country and what duty you owe to God. Art thou a citizen? Read the Scriptures. They'll teach you to know the blessing you can be to your fellow Australian and the gospel you carry for their ears. Art thou a single man or woman? Read the Scriptures. They will show you your worth in Christ apart from any other man, woman or expectation. Art thou a father or mother? Read the Scriptures. How else can you raise children to be thoroughly equipped for life, for a life of good, unless you first prepare your own heart and hands? Art thou a senior? Read the Scriptures. For an ageing body in the world finds in the Bible day by day renewing in the Lord. Art thou struggling with the Word? Dost thou find it hard work? Read the Scriptures. Know that you are not alone, but that God's Spirit who wrote those scriptures for you, is with you to understand them. Your efforts will not be wasted. Art thou sick? Do you suffer pain? Read the scriptures. Entrust yourself to the physician of your soul, your soul whose sickness is far greater than that of your body. Art thou well and fit, the very image of strength? Read the scriptures. And there learn that beauty is a gift from the Lord, but only for a season. Be strong in the Lord, therefore so that when weariness and wrinkles come, your eyes may be well attuned to the beauty of wisdom and godliness. Art thou going out of life? Read the scriptures. Find in them, hear in them, the cry of him from the cross, whose going out of life speaks assurance to our souls. Dost thou despair of God's mercy? Read the scriptures. For his word to us is grace. Art thou a stranger to the Lord? Read the scriptures, for his word to us brings life in the Lord Jesus Christ. In him he comes to meet us. In the scripture we encounter our God where he means to be found. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, our great speaking God, Your word makes fools like us wise. By your spirit, you raise infants to maturity. In your grace, you make strangers into beloved children at home with the Lord. May we, our Father, be a people warm to your word, your holy scriptures, not just with a fleeting enthusiasm, but a church with a taste, with an appetite, for words that mature us into the people that you'd have us become. Oh, Lord, our God, unravel, would you please, our prejudices and our preferences 
that prevent us from hearing or obeying your word. May your spirit-inspired word penetrate beneath the surface of our souls with life-giving, with life-changing effect, please. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.